Welcome to uh, another edition of Give Me Some Truth Podcast. I'm Keith Ponywaz. I'm here with uh, Jonathan Jordan. And then we're also joined in studio by Itaro Nagano and Patrick Sierra, their third partner, or third amigo, we might say. Uh, Andrew Krieger is not here. He also goes by Junior. So they wanted me to forewarn in case they accidentally call him Junior on the air. And uh, these guys are opening a, a new restaurant here on Monroe Street in the location of the former Jack's. Uh, Fairchild is the the name of the restaurant. How did you guys come up with that that name, Fairchild? It was sort of uh, serendipity, wasn't it? Yeah, it was last minute. We were um, rushing to get our alcohol licensing um, application in, and Junior Andrew was uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, walking around uh, the the office, and he saw the first mayor of um, Madison, and his last name is Fairchild. It's not like we're honoring. Um, the person, but it just seemed fitting. It's um, our first restaurant, and you know, Madison's first mayor was his last name was Fairchild, so we decided to call it, call it Fairchild. Uh, so, so if you guys end up, you know, creating a restaurant empire, uh, much like, and we can talk about this. You, you mm-hmm. worked for Tory Miller at, at yes. Latois. Uh, if you guys create a. a Restaurant Empire at some point is there going to be like Soglins, Soglins, <laughs> oh, yeah. Soglins yeah. two, <laughs> Soglins <empires>. three. <laughs> right. uh, the fourth Soglins won't let you have a liquor license. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is your first restaurant, and uh, I think on a scale of one to ten, how nervous are you guys right now going into this? And when when uh, you know you, you said uh, when we were talking before that you're going to be getting into the space here soon. When's the the projected opening date? Um, the open, projected opening date is uh, March first, but that's we don't know if we're too ambitious on that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, um, yeah, March first is our projected. Uh, as far as nervousness, I'd say I'm about five, but like ten in excitement. <laughs> so. What about you? Same sort oh, of. Uh, I'm probably like a nine point five on the anxiety. <laughs> but it's kind of what drives me is you know, anxiety and fear has kind of always been my driving factor. So it's natural. Yeah. I've learned to live with it. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, you guys met working at Latois. Um, yes. And uh, you, you, Patrick, were in front of the house more. Yeah. And uh, you were Itaro, working in the, in the kitchen. Um, and did you know then that you guys might partner up? Or how did, you, how did your um, stories kind of come together? I mean, Patrick and I have always gotten along. And um, Andrew, our other partner, um, he he was there. He he worked there also at the same time, and um, you know Patrick actually sold me my first house. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I do work in real estate now. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, we're going to be recording a second podcast with Nate where he interviews you about the local housing market. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've always gotten along. So and you know it wasn't a surprise that you know we got we got back together and um, started a business. So, oh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask, knowing um, this area from working at Latois and being down on the square, mm-hmm. and, you know, Madison has a great food culture for the Midwest, what was it that drew you to Monroe Street? Was it location, or was it the idea of, of what kind of this area of, of Madison really represents? Um, it's a little bit of both. Um, I love the location. I grew up around here. Um, I went to West High School, and um, I've always wanted something on Monroe Street. Um, a matter of fact, um, Andrew and I, uh, five years ago, we were looking 
down further on Monroe Street to try to start opening a restaurant, um, but that didn't pan out. So, um, when, and when the former Jack's um, space went up for space, we just kind of jumped on it. Um, but we love the community aspect of um, and Monroe specifically Street. when you jumped on it, didn't somebody's mom? Call yeah, somebody? yeah, my, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my mom was dropping off some food or something at, for me at home, and then she drove by here and called me. Um, and then I called Patrick immediately and was like, well, yeah. <laughs> call, call well, these we, people, it please. Was a, <laughs> it was a hot property. I think that was the first day it went up and there was already several calls. And Well, it, it was a shock to us because when it actually closed, that mm-hmm. was a restaurant that we frequented often. And it closed immediately when they did the construction on Monroe Street. Expansion and, and infrastructure was, was increased. Ultimately, uh, you know, it went up and they said it sounded like they were just closing for construction. And then we saw some boards go up or there, you know, <laughs> the, the, the windows were blocked off. And I think we all just kind of had that collective, uh, you know, oh man, because we would go there all the time. And I love their Cuban sandwich. It was, <laughs> it, was, it was like one of my favorites, but that spot has always been, you know, a popular spot. So seeing that the opportunity came, you guys, it sounds like you jumped on it and this being your first restaurant. You know, what better location than right in the heart of Monroe Street? I mean, you're right in the middle of, right. of, of everything going by. Yeah, we, I mean, we both, or all three of us, I should say, thought it was just the perfect location and the perfect mix of of um, everything to, to move forward. And we just kind of did everything we could to, to get in the space, and, and it is working out thus far. But um, I think being away from downtown... Um, was appealing to us because there's already it's so saturated you know there's a lot of great places but it's just so saturated down there um i live in monona uh and i know i get tired of going downtown um even though it's not a far drive it's just kind of a hassle and and this is such a tight-knit community and and great location i think i think that's that's the the, that's the one big thing about Monroe Street is that it seems like the community is really, really tight and close-knit. Um, and that's what that's another thing that draw, drew us to Monroe Street. Uh, I'm a member of the Monroe Street Merchants Association board, and uh, so I have to, you know, give you a plug to join, you know, make sure you join the, the right. Monroe Street Merchants <laughs> Association. Uh, you know, otherwise uh, Orange will be upset with me that I didn't reach out to you guys. But We have checked uh, we, that box. Yeah, <laughs> we would look forward to having you guys and, and your involvement. I think it's, it's one of the things as well. I think um, the restaurants up and down the street, I don't know if you've experienced this yet, um, but we had, you know, Garth from Garth's Brew Bar on a, a couple of weeks ago, and they're interested in promoting one another because I think there's a sense that as Monroe Street becomes a destination, it's better, better right. for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, so talk, uh, talk us through a little bit about, you know, uh, the menu, the, the restaurant itself, the, the, you know, kind of food that you're going to be preparing and, and you know. Um, so we want to go pretty, pretty rustic. Um, we don't want to... Um, we want to be as local as locally sourced restaurant. Um, this this supports uh, farmers. Uh, we also want to be supporting local artists. So we're getting plates from um, a local pers- person from Cambridge. Um, um, the tables are going to be made in Wisconsin. Um, we want to be all about the community um, in all senses. My my. Um, Wife is a special ed assistant at West High School, and we want to bring some of that um, uh, that that program in to oh, great. Um, help out with the restaurant. Um, as far as food goes, we want to be uh, approachable. 
Um, um, we want to have uh, familiar dishes, but mm-hmm. done right mm-hmm. and the right techniques and right execution. Um, so we don't want to be too far out there as far as you know thinking about new dishes. We want to be comfortable, like cassoulet or something, but done. In a really uh, executed in, in a perfect Ca- way. Cassoulet is like an ideal Wisconsin winter dish. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. It sticks to the, <laughs> right, sticks yeah. To the ribs. Yeah, uh, it'll it'll buffer you against uh, any cold winds <laughs> as you walk down Monroe Street. Speaking of technique, y- y- Itaru, your your mm-hmm. technique you've developed at some of the the best places in in really the world. I mean, yeah. uh, for training, you went to the Culinary Institute of America, and then I read somewhere that you wanted to go to the the most demanding kitchens um, right yeah so I, I started around at a lot of um different places um after i got out of culinary school and um i went to the place that was yelling the most and you know it seemed like the hardest environment yeah well it was a little a little harsher i think um <laughs> can you name uh, names on who yeah so tom calico's kitchen at craft his um his flagship uh, restaurant um and I walked in and, you know, I was like, this is really scary. <laughs> uh, I want to be able to, you know, hang in here and succeed. And I just put my head down and, you know, it was like a year and, year and a half later, I was a sous chef there. And then by the time I left, I was executive sous chef um, for that restaurant. So. And then did you come right back to, to Madison from New York? Yeah, or? so um, I came back and uh, I only applied to one restaurant, which was Les Wall. Um, that didn't pan out. I was going to go back to New York where I had, um, uh, jobs lined up. Mm -hmm. Um, but it ended up that they called me back. (laughs) So, you know, I I stayed at Lithuel for six and a half years after that. New New York's losses are are gain. It's probably a much nicer city to, to have a family in. Yeah. 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 It's a lot, it's a lot nicer. Um, New York, I was working like 80 hours a week and, you know, um, there's not much to do except. You know, there's a lot to do in New York, yeah. but when you're a chef there, you kind of put your head down, uh, go to work, and then go home. You know, for or, or go. Many now, hours. did you ever go after shift to the Blue Ribbon for their uh, um, bone marrow? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, the bone marrow um, marmalade, beef yep. and bone marrow yep. marmalade. Yeah, um, I did a few times, and then the last time I was there, somebody, you know, it was like really late at night, and somebody threw up in the dining room and I had to walk out because I, I couldn't do it. Um, you can't do that anymore. Right. Yeah. That's one of those, I think, uh, you know, because I had some friends in, in yeah. the industry and that, like, Blue Ribbon was one of the places everybody hung out about right. one, yeah. after shift kind yeah. of deal. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, something you brought up about your wife um, mm-hmm. working in special needs with special needs kids at uh, West High School, you know, that, that's an interesting concept of, of, you know, dining out for families with special needs. I, I We just met really recently, but I, I have a special needs child. My wife also uh-huh. is a special needs paraeducator oh, uh, cool. in her intermediate school, and she works yeah. with autistic kids. Yeah. And one of the tough things for families that have special needs children like, like ourselves and, and uh, those especially with autistic kids is they don't like to take them out dining. Right. And to be able to have something where it is is welcoming to families like that or even to do like a special event. Yeah. so to speak, for families like that. And you guys have the ability with a, a restaurant of this size or in this area to be able to market that and yeah. really make it welcoming for those families. I have to tell you, just to hear it from me specifically, yeah. we would be supportive of that <laughs> for a business and also in telling other families because we have a network of them out there that we know. It's it's a very difficult thing when you know you think about wanting to go out and enjoy 
you know, good food, but yet a lot of places are not very welcoming if you've got a child that has sensory issues or right. food, food issues. So, yeah. you know, if that's something that you guys are developing your your brand here and your relationships with the community, it sounds like you've got a nice in there with your wife. Um, yeah, do, yeah. Do you have kids of your own, by the way? Uh, I have a stepson. So, okay. yep. um, yeah, he's 17. He's going to MATC. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got into the STEM program where, yeah. you know, it's... Mm-hmm. Um, I have a 17-year-old son going to, more than likely, to MA, Madison College. Yeah, right, well. yeah. It's funny, yeah. yeah small world, yeah. He's, yeah, so it, it's cool because he, you know, by the time he graduates, um, he's going to graduate with an associate's degree and um, high school diploma. So mm-hmm. yeah. um, we're really, really insanely excited for it, <laughs> for him, you know. But. Uh, now, uh, Patrick, uh, your involvement uh, in the past at Latoile was more front of the house. Correct. It, it sounds like now, though, you're doing a little bit more uh, by, back of the house, uh, behind the behind the scenes. Is that correct? Are you going to be in the restaurant day to day? Are you? So yeah. So my background in the industry um, is primarily front of the house. I did start in the back of the house when I was 14 as a prep cook in a in essentially the the best restaurant in my hometown, Racine. Um, and uh, when I got to college, I, I realized um, it was a little more flexible with school uh, to work in the front of the house. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against the taro. Um, <laughs> but, um, also more lucrative, uh, you know, if you're Yeah, I wasn't going to go there, but <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, I'm 30, 32 now, so I had about six and a half years at Laitoile um, and a few other restaurants in there. Um, where I was working in the front of the house. And for the last five years, I've been working um, in real estate, primarily residential and investment, but also some commercial uh, for the start company here in town. And, um, you know, the the opportunity presented itself, and I really missed the that kind of inspiration or the, the drive um, I got from food and wine, um, being I was in the industry from 14 to, I would still cameo at late 12 till about 29:30, so you know half my life um and so part of the our agreement was you know i could uh come on board um but i wanted to have a hand in the in the wine program and and helping with the front of the house given that's where my expertise lies and and also it it provides um you know just fulfillment um as far as day-to-day operations go i am very happy in my career in real estate and it offers a full plate in itself. Um, so I'm not going to be there every single day. Um, but it, I also feel it's very important. I'm not just some owner who doesn't know what's going on in their own business. So I, I will be very present. Um, but it's, a little tough to say how yeah. much I'll be there yeah. as much as my schedule allows as yeah. much as as much as you want him there no <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and that yeah. Yeah. yeah well we want to bring in you know the the we want to bring in interesting wines for you know where Patrick's uh, expertise lies um and we we want to make it affordable but very interesting um as far as wines go and um we also want to be you know for for him being a realtor we want him to be looking you know, around for other places and other ventures. Mm-hmm. Also, when you know when the right time comes, yeah. but I feel like we want to have the the pulse mm-hmm. um, around around the neighborhood. And yeah. Around so on, on the on the wine front, you know, uh, we've talked about Castellet and some of the food. Is uh, is there a country region 
area that you're leaning towards in, in kind of looking at wines, or are you going to be uh, small C Catholic in your selections? What are you thinking about? <laughs> well, you know, and I think um, you know it would only be fair to give credit to um, Laitoile's longtime wine director, Michael Quas. Was um, he's a great teacher and really knows his wines. And one thing I've learned from him over the years was just you know, not letting your personal preferences get in the way of, of pairing food and wine. Um, I tend to favor old world wines. So by that, you know, Italy, France, and Spain. Um, and I think they probably will um, fare better with our, our food. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, we'll definitely have those California cabs that are such crowd pleasers. Um, so I want to appeal to everyone as much as possible um but really focused on on as atara said unique wines and by that i think we mean small producers um you know we can't really go local with just wine but small producers that you maybe won't be able to find everywhere but also aren't gonna break the bank um will basically be the focus Mm-hmm. I think in the wine world too, you know, everybody kind of goes with those California cabs, and there's some great deals in Italy and Spain, and really cool, interesting Absolutely. wines. Um, even like Switzerland and Austria have some cool, little funky uh, mm-hmm. kind of things out there. So hopefully, yeah. you know, that's one of the the follow up questions I wanted to ask, as well as, you know, we're talking about comfort food, well executed. Um, is there any desire to push Madison's, you know, tastes a little bit yeah, uh, so uh, on things? We um, want to have um, a, a seasonal menu. So we'll, we're going to change our menu four times a year. Um, but we want to be local. And it's hard to be local and have a seasonal menu. Um, so we're going to have daily specials. Um, um, the 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 core menu, the, four, the one that changes four times a year, is going to have our home run hits. Um, uh-huh. And then... Um, the daily menu changes, uh, the daily uh, specials are, that's where we're going to push ourselves and, mm-hmm. you know, um, use super fresh ingredients, obviously. Well, that's going to be all year round, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, asparagus, we can't put on asparagus for a, a full season, but mm-hmm. we'll have it on that, um, you know, the special When, when it kind of appears at yeah. the farmer's market. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, some things are, we're only you know, they're only around for like three weeks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we want to be able to, you know, focus on that and then um, different t- cooking techniques and, you know, push ourselves that way. Um, I think one of the most important things for me as a chef <coughs> is being able to be creative um, and um, um, constantly learning. Um, and that's, I think that's where we're going to be, you know, pushing ourselves as mm-hmm. those daily specials. There's, there can tend to be a... Uh a desire to to appease everybody and have be all things to all people. It's one of the things that we see here in our business. Um, you know, we do things a certain way because mm-hmm. we believe in it. But for example, we have uh, some clients that are want socially responsible investing or environmentally responsible investing, and so having that opportunity is that something with you guys that you see where maybe there's a specific diets or people like I know the big one now is is gluten free or having right. uh, options like that. Are you guys yeah? Have so. You know, we're used to working at Let's Wall, which, you know, at any given night we have, we would have six, seven different menus. Um, and we want to bring that over to Fairchild, um, where we'll be um, servicing not just gluten free, but every dietary restriction. 
Um, so we'll have, you know, vegan, we'll be welcome, gluten-free, vegans, vegetarians, mm -hmm. whatever it may be, um, we'll be able to take care of them. Um, and with our background, um, I think it's very easy for us to go that route because um, we did it for so many years. Um, and it's like fine dining. It's usually, they're usually catered to everyone. Um, not that fair child is fine dining at all. It's very <laughs> casual. But well, well, And we were talking about that beforehand uh, on the 1 to 10, if Latois is a 10 on, on you know, uh, Fanciness. fanciness. Yeah, right. I think the, the fanciness scale, you guys were aiming for more of a, a four, five. Yeah, right? yeah four, four or five. five that yeah. Guys that were dressed like us uh, could go in there right. no problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, um, wearing just a, a, a shirt and jeans or something right. like that. Yeah, I think one way I've kind of described it to people is despite our background in fine dining, we want people to feel comfortable whether I'm wearing a baseball hat and, and long sleeve t-shirt right now, you know, stopping in for a drink on my way home from work or a quick bite to eat. Um, but at the same time, we will be able to accommodate and more than welcoming of guests who want to come in and celebrate a, you know, their 20th wedding anniversary, you know, so we can kind of cover that gamut. We uh, just want to bring fine dining back into a casual where, mm -hmm. you know, all the, all the good asp aspects of fine dining are in a casual setting. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's our main goal. Well, and one of the other nice things I imagine, you know, Latois is the event itself, right? It's right, right. you're, you're yeah. going there for the evening, you know, you're dedicating two or three hours. I just talked to my brother. He went to dinner that's in, he lives in New York now, mm -hmm. started at 5.30 and ended at midnight. Right. You know, there were 25 courses and all right. that. Yeah. Whereas, you know, it sounds like with Fairchild, folks can stop in and make their way further down Monroe Street if they're maybe going to a, a volleyball game uh, yep. or a badger, yep. you know, football game or something like that. And that it's all kind of kind of built in in that way. Is that more the, the vision? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Def definitely. Um, yeah, all occasions. Um, you know, if you want, if you want a pregame before the Badger game, that's totally fine with us. <laughs> <laughs> I've already, you're, I've already uh, yeah, planning on coming and flipping one of the bar stools over and etching my name <laughs> because yeah, it's uh, on the way down from where our office is to a Badger game. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, a perfect pregame. Yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll work really well for us. We can get get about halfway, get get on the <laughs> bike and. One of the things I, I wanted to ask about, I, you know, you had mentioned kind of vegan food and things like that. I think for a lot of chefs, you know, for a while, I think it was it was viewed as a, a hindrance. But from what I'm hearing more and more chefs say, actually, it's given the, the questions of sustainability around mm. finer dining and all of that, that it's reinvigorating for a lot of chefs to think, OK, how can I make this and make it in a way that's very sustainable and, and low impact and still very tasty and not an appetite. Yeah, I, I, I think vegan, I, I don't mind me making vegan food at all. I know a lot of chefs, you know, frown upon it, but for me, um, you know, I, I enjoy the challenge kind of <laughs> uh, a little bit. And, you know, we'll, um, yeah, I just, I just, I just love making food and, you know, if they want it vegan, I, I love catering to people specific, you know, clientele and making them happy. Mm -hmm. Um, um, so so when you're at home, mm -hmm. who's who's cooking dinner at home? Who's who's the one putting together? The <laughs> yeah, well, my wife cooks sometimes, but most of the time um, I'm making the food. And you know, I used to have Saturday and, or Friday, and, sorry, Sunday and Mondays off, and I would just cook all day, and then they would just eat leftovers. <laughs> um, <laughs> the rest of the weekend. Yeah. But do you like cooking in your I, off time? I I love it. I, oh, do you? Yeah. I I don't get out that much, but. Um, but I, lo I love going to grocery stores and just cooking and, 
you know, I, I, I can do that all the time. That's probably why I got this figure. Because, <laughs> you know, some, some of the chefs I've known are some of the worst eaters in their time off. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, well, I'm cooking all the time. And then when they're on their own, it's like they just get like a Big Mac and like yeah. slam it down as quickly as possible. That they're like, I mean, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I've been known to go to Culver's from here and there. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I love going to like, you know, Village Bar and Laurel Tavern, you know. I, I Laurel is a days. staple too. Yeah, on, I have those. I, I have those days. <laughs> <laughs> I probably have far too many of them. That's, that's for my uh, Miller High Life taste. It always <laughs> right. throws my friends off that I like. Uh, my favorite wine in the world is Burgundy, which is like the oh yeah, yeah. The, the place to end, and then uh, uh, the sort of uh, you know other end of the spectrum is Miller Miller High Life. Now, one kind of... champagne of beers. It is. <laughs> it doesn't get any finer. Uh, one kind of final question I had, Itaru, you got into cooking in kind of a unique way. Right. You love yeah. it now. It seems to dominate your life, but yeah. you originally kind of got into it because you wanted to... Yeah. So I'm originally from Japan, and um, I grew up... Um, you know, my stepda- my stepfather is from Madison, Um and he didn't want us to get picked on, so he had us speaking English at home. Um, and by the time I was 18, I'd forgotten pretty much all of Japanese. Um, so I went to a Japanese restaurant um, and relearned Japanese, and that's how my cooking career got started. <laughs> and do do you still keep any of the techniques you learn from? I it comes out sometimes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for the most part, doesn't you know? Yeah. It's, because I, I yeah. think, you know, France and, you know, we had talked about Cassoulet and, and Japan actually share that kind of love of, of good technique, right? Right, in, yeah. In, in yeah, it's definitely, um, yeah, a lot of precision work. Um, yeah. One of, the, one of the things that I am very proud of you guys in is the, the entrepreneurial spirit and being willing to take this risk. I, I hear you talk about, you know, there's anxiety. It's like you have a target opening date. It's almost like finding out that you're expecting a child. And <laughs> you know it's coming, right? Right, yeah. So you got to prepare for it. But, you know, being down here and, and having the support of this community and this opportunity, I think is, is going to be a huge thing for you guys. As, as you well know better than anybody, the statistics of restaurants and, and how often they make it through even their first year. But in Madison, those statistics don't tend to bear out like they do you know, across the country and other places, especially if you're able to get something in there that that really has its own um, atmosphere and this, you know, support of the community, great service, great food, they will continue to support it. You know, we're as you know from real estate, we're almost a recession-proof part of the country here. Yeah, very know, well insulated because of you know the you know the the university, the hospital system, Epic, and some other large and some biotech government. companies. It's huge, yeah, government. Mm-hmm. So being being able to open that here, knowing full well those risks and everything, um, I think that's going to really help you guys out. And I know that for us, you know, we talk to people around this community and on this street. I mean, I personally live in Wanakee mm-hmm. and very close friends with people who just opened up a new restaurant in town there. But they, they opened up, they, they for that area, it was better to do a franchise, you know, right. independently yeah. owned, but that was the route they went. Right. And with you guys... Excuse me. With you guys, that that route, you know, being full owners, you guys are picking the menu. That's an exciting way to go about this business. So I'm really excited for you and proud of you to take that step. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, 
before we go, just a reminder, uh, Fairchild, check them out. Uh, we want to thank uh, Itaru and, and uh, Patrick here today. And Junior. And Junior, <laughs> yeah, who was not you. with us today, uh, for coming in. F- Fairchild, you guys are going to open hopefully March 1st. Uh, March you're 1st. Gonna, you're going to see the space uh, soon. Uh, any any updates? Uh, you know, feel free to pass them along. But we're all very excited for you guys, as as I think John mentioned. And thanks for thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thank you yeah, for having thank us. You. Yeah. Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, Mitch DeWitt, and Keith Ponywaz are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not provide any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.